As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. Investment advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. And we're back um, really quick, as always. Uh, thanks so much to the Norden Group. Uh, we really appreciate their support. You guys know, uh, if any of you came into uh, seven or eight figures of investable uh, wealth over the past couple weeks and you don't know who to talk to, now you do. Um, we've been gone. Dan and I are back from uh, L.A., took a little weekend jaunt down there and forgot the podcast equipment. So our apologies for that. Do you think anyone missed us? I, I kind of doubt it, but I hope so. I hope at least a few people missed us. I hope at least a few. And we should say, um, we're hoping that we have a lot of new uh, listeners this week. We've had uh, the Maybird meeting and invited some new folks uh, into our ranks. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And I'm sorry. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, Dan, Dan and I were talking. We uh, were very excited about all the new folks this year. And it's always a riot reading over applications and stuff. Um, you know, kind of seeing some trends and stuff that, that make you giggle a little bit, huh? You know, um, it is so funny. Just like, I just love the girls on our team and comparing them to the boys. They're just so different in so many ways. And it was really evident in their, um, in their applications and some of the responses and stuff. I thought it was pretty entertaining. The first one we asked a question, well, we asked a question like, what's the most technical trail that you can comfortably ride? Which is an important question for us. We've kind of figured, landed on that as a good way to like, see like, oh, how technically competent is this person? What group should we put them in? And and the responses were not only hilarious, but did kind of indicate a difference in how, like the expectations we have for like girls and boys. Yeah, like, <laughs> like some of the guys, like probably 20 people put or probably 30 people put, put Captain Ahab right. as something they can comfortably ride. Or there are a couple that just said anything, which yeah, I the, thought was insanely fun. And I think the guys kind of interpreted that question as, what is the most technical trail you've ever heard of? Yeah, exactly. Not, what's the most technical or trail you can comfortably in ride? In theory, which one would you try? Not yeah. like, truly, which? what's the most comfortable trail? Because for you, what, Helena Archibald, who's a good, solid rider, I loved rider. her answer. Excellent. Her answer was the type of answer we were like looking for. Right. She she put, I can ride most of barrel roll. Which, which honestly is probably a truthful answer for most most people. It's only in the past year or two I've been able to ride all of them. Yeah, and roll. you know, and that was like that answer really kind of gave me a good idea of what she could ride, you know. Right. And, like my answer to that would be like Zen. Like I've seen I, I can't even ride Zen comfortably. I can ride it, but there's yeah. some things I walk and I can ride Zen. Like I probably would have said I can comfortably ride barrel roll. I, right. I think I've even cleaned it before. Right, right, right. You know, but like 
like yeah tanners I, I can't just cruise and relax down tanners or anything no. or you know no. or, or the we spine probably should've, I, we should have clarified too what's the show you can most comfortably ride on a hundred mil cross country bike you know not on you know a yeah, motorcycle but, without it but that was that was kind of funny to Super see funny. um i also i just i have to say throughout like at the end of the application we had everybody agree to our like terms of riding with us which were like be respectful you know be a good steward of nature don't use bad language you know all these things and in the instructions it indicated please write your name almost all of the girls wrote their name very few of the boys did a lot of the response for the girls were like you know you know judy smith you know this date this time all one of the boys just wrote yup and sounds good underneath them which is which is funny because i'm like no you you were supposed to write your name it said that pretty clearly there you know i don't this is why i'm glad i'm not a high school teacher is it is it too hot of a take to say that girls are way smarter no not anymore i think i think i don't know i think once you have any kind of exposure to this you realize pretty quickly that like I don't know if it would be an interesting social experiment. I don't know if they're just, they come smarter like that or if they just kind of have to be because they're expected to be, but whatever the reason, it's a pretty different experience, you know? So shout out to the Maybird girls and boys. We love you too, but you're just more annoying. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I wanted to get things rolling this week with, with, uh, we do have a quiz for Dan before we jump into today's uh, primary topic. And it's one that I, I, I think will be interesting for a lot of people to know. And it concerns, uh, what was formerly known as the UCI Mountain Bike World Cup. Um, they have changed a bunch of things this year. Uh, the individual races will still be called World Cups, but there is a, a new name for the whole mountain bike thing, the whole UCI mountain bike racing apparatus. And that is question number one. What is that going to be called now, Dan? Is it called endurance racing instead of XC? Close. Think, think broader. What's the whole thing called? Cause there are but two I am right about that, though. right? So yeah, they have gravity and endurance. And under gravity is going to be downhill and a new discipline. And then under endurance, they're going to have cross-country, short track, and marathon. Um, but both of those, the gravity and endurance, are going to fall under a new um, kind of banner title that we're going to be calling it from now on. Have you seen this? I haven't. This is totally new to me. I you probably should know this, but I... So, so the answer to question one is, it's going to be called the UCI Mountain Bike World Series. And within that, you will have the, the Endurance Series and the Gravity Series. Um, like I mentioned before, Endurance is cross-country, short track, and marathon. So they changed the word from cup to series. So the whole thing used to be called the UCI Mountain Bike World Cup. Now it's called the World Series, but each individual race is still called a World Cup. Wow, that is so important. I know, I know. Well, no, there are important parts later. The The first question was not important. The second question is kind of medium important. Is there is a new discipline that will fall under this now in on the gravity side? Do you want to take a crack at what that's Okay, I'm going to guess, but this is an awesome guess. Guess. It's going to be e-bike. No. No, not e-bike. Okay. It's going to be um, under gravity? Yes. It's, it's a kind of racing you've very much heard of before that we talk about all the time, but that, that was not... Uh, under the UCI that you couldn't win. A oh yeah, enduro, for. enduro. Okay. So now there will be UCI level enduro. There will be an enduro world champion with a rainbow jersey and everything. It used to be a background. If you're not familiar, that enduro had its own thing called the Enduro World Series. The people who started it were very anti UCI. I guess they didn't want to fall under the UCI rules and everything, and they did their own thing. But now that has been absorbed. And um, the final question relates to how you actually go about watching it. And for years, at least since we've been involved in the sport, it was you download the Red Bull app for free and watched them. You know, it didn't cost any money. Red Bull basically took it as an advertising thing, um, free to watch. 
that will no longer be the case. Um, can you tell the ladies and gentlemen, you might know the answer to this, there are two outlets in the United States where you will be able to watch the UCI Mountain Bike World Series. Isn't it Discovery Plus? That's, that's one of them. Do you know what the other is? Um, Hulu? I don't know. No, uh, uh, GCN Plus. Oh, um, cool. So okay. GCN Plus, as far as I understand from what I can see on their website, under the schedule of events they will be um, hosting for the U.S., you will be able to watch those. Oh, cool. So uh, Discovery How Plus... How much is, is GCN Plus? That would be cool to subscribe so, to. So Discovery Plus is $7 a month. GCN Plus is $9 a month. Um, Discovery, presumably, you get other content. GCN, though, you can watch basically any race in the US. They have they have most of them. There are a few exceptions, but that's where you're going to go to watch like the tour, uh, I think. Okay, cuz I I think that. that is really money well spent because I think the having our riders watch World Cups, I guess is do we call it World Series now or is it No, World? the individual races are World okay. Cups. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's just it, it's just it's so huge. educational and so good and motivational to watch those writers and see what they do see some of their tactics see yeah you know. and you know like gcn plus um if you're if you're going to pay for it nine bucks a month um i've i've subscribed to it on and off for the past couple of years it is pretty good it's pretty well done um obviously there's no commercial connection who's, so who's going to be the presenter now that rob warner isn't so okay so that's another detail if you've watched these in the past you will you will know the voice of rob warner who i think is the voice of mountain biking oh absolutely definitively um, supposedly won't be doing it anymore is what I've heard, but I don't think we have like affirmative knowledge of, of who will be commentating on those. Maybe it could be us. Maybe it could. I, I hope, I hope he work. Rob will go work for GCN. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool. And like GCN too, I'll throw out too. Um, you know, the joke is that young people always have to have something going on in the back. You know, like all of us were raised on iPads. So, you know, for me at work, I almost always have something playing in the background or whatever. I think a bike race is a good one. I think it's really hard to sit down, especially over the road race, and just watch a bicycle race. I think they're fun to have on in the background, and then as the action happens, you kind of like change your 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 um, you know uh, attention over. And you know, like when I watch stages of the tour, I'm not just sitting on the couch and watching the tour. That'd be the most boring thing in the world. You have it on in the background, and then when somebody attacks, you look up from your Excel spreadsheet you were working on, watch it for ten minutes until the action stops, and then go back. Um, I would say, parents listening to this, if you want your kids to get into cycling, I think it's nine bucks a month, well spent. Have a bike race going on in the background. Like Dan said, you learn a lot just watching bike racing happen. And not just mountain bike, I think road bike too. Um, I think you can get cross stuff on GCN Plus as well. And we still have some of that to go in the season. So, um, yeah, concludes the quiz for this week. But I I don't know if I feel good about these changes. I kind of liked it the way it was, but uh, it is what it is. You know, the UCI is going to do what the UCI is going to do. Yeah. Anyway, uh, moving right along, any other business we need to attend to or should we jump in? Yeah, I think we can jump in. So uh, main topic today, Dan, this is um, pretty, pretty key to what we do. I'll, 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 I'll leave this to you. Yeah. And I'm really hoping we have a lot of the new, the new Maybird members that are that are listening to this because I really wanted to explain group rides and how they're why they're important how they're beneficial and kind of how they tie in to like a like a structured training plan what their role is Um, so but first I wanted to kind of just lay a little background first um, because I know a lot of people kind of see the importance of group rides differently than I do and hopefully I can explain myself and 
and make sense. But um, so first of all, I just wanted to kind of talk about the difference between, you know, you've got beginner riders, you've got well-trained riders and you've got elite riders. Right. And, um, you know, I think a lot of us are more beginner riders than we actually think we are. That we'd like to think we are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because like really, you know, it's, it usually takes a good, I don't know, I'm just kind of making up this number, but a good 10 years to really hit your peak as a cyclist. And, and I would say oftentimes even longer. Oh, yeah. Oh, all the time. Yeah. All the time. I mean, there, there are lots of folks I talk to who have been riding bikes since the 80s, and they're just starting to come into it. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's not something you, you hit your peak at in three years. Right. You know, and so, but... You know, and I think I think we do have a lot of riders that really kind of fit into the beginner category, even though they've done this a right. couple of seasons or two. It, I'd it say most pretty fast too. Yeah, you know, you can be a fast beginner. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and I think um, a lot of our riders, especially kind of like our, our Tates and our Isaacs and our Joes and our you know those Sanders and those kind of guys. Joe Draper, right? Not Joe Cocker. No, I didn't mean Joe Draper. <laughs> these, these guys. Well, I mean, maybe you. I mean, these guys, I would say, are are well trained. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think they're beginners anymore. They're definitely well-trained. They're, um, they're not elite yet. You know, that's, that's kind of a different category too. But so, so with beginner riders, like no matter what you do, it's, it's awesome being a beginner rider because no matter what you do, you're going to get better. If it's on the bike, it's, it's helping you. Exactly. Right? Yeah. If you're, if you're spending time on the bike, you're getting faster. Even if you're doing the worst most incorrect training, blah, 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 ever. You're going to get faster as a beginner. Which is funny because I've seen before, like on Instagram, people say like coaching for beginners. I'm like, you don't, oh, I would love, you don't need it. Yeah. I'd love to just coach beginners because yeah, you could not you know fail. What I mean? It's like, Hey, uh, go ride your bike. <laughs> can you ride your bike more? Then do that. Yeah. Exactly. If you can't. Okay. Well, when you can ride your bike more. Well, exactly. Um, you know, I was, I was talking to a dad and he's like, He's, he's like, seriously, man, you would not believe how in just two months, my son got so fast on his high school team. And I'm like, I'd absolutely I'm believe like, it. Oh yeah. I yeah, believe it. Congratulations. Your kid's normal. I mean, yeah, that's I mean, just, yeah, there's, yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in these rapid fitness gains for beginner riders, I mean, they're usually more like you know, like blood volume type improvements, enzymatic improvements, you know, more you're like improvements associated with high intensity training, you know, because a lot of the work they do is more anaerobic because they haven't really developed a solid aerobic system. And those improvements, anyone sees quickly, you know, and, and, um, but, you know, but like, you know, say, say you kind of become the level of like a Joe Isaac Tate, those guys, you know, then the, the improvements, Start or, to plateau a little bit. Or, or a little harder to gain. And and most of the time, the answer typically for them is more volume. You right. Know, that's usually how right. you kind of get from one level to the other. So, um, you know, and, and I, I was looking over the uh, the applications to join Maybird, and I saw a lot of kids that that said that they wanted to join Maybird so that they could get faster. And I'm like, you know, that's awesome. But here we go. I'm going to tell you the secret right now. This is what the industry doesn't want you to know. Yeah. Here's the secret. You guys ready? You guys listening? Okay. The secret is, is to ride more. Coaches hate him for this one simple <laughs> trick. Yeah, yeah. No. It, 
and it, it is like I'm probably going to kind of spoil this here, but like like group rides are a good way to get people to ride more. I think is 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 at least I'm sure one of the benefits you're going to talk. Yeah, about, we're we're you know? yeah we're kind of getting that. That's that's one of the benefits. But yeah, um, yeah, if you want to get faster, you you need to ride your bike more. It's as simple as that. In fact, sometimes I wish it wasn't so simple because then my time would be worth more. But that really, like the more I learn about training and and so forth, I realize that the volume is just crucial. And it gets complicated when, you know, like you need to factor recovery in, you know, and stuff like that. But even for like a professional athlete, you still want to ride as much as possible, just as long as, as long as you're recovering properly and doing these other things on the fringes that we talk about. But really like the meat and potatoes of how to get faster on a bike and how to become a better cyclist is ride a lot. Absolutely. I mean, that gets you about, I mean, just riding a lot, really getting your volume right is going to get you like, most of the way there and then the other 20 or 30 percent is intensity distribution is recovery. yes yeah. all those all the other things we talk about a lot you know but but the majority of it is just making sure you're getting enough time on the bike um you know and i, I tell this story all the time but we had a girl who in her freshman year she she didn't qualify for state and was really sad about it um the next season she set a goal to ride 15 hours a week during the season. And she did that, you know, rode 15 hours a week during the season. And that season she got like top three in JVA and, and completely changed as a rider. It was, it was drastic. And she wasn't following, like she wasn't being coached or following a plan or she didn't start every ride with, okay, you're going to do this long of warm up, and then you're going to have this long at this kind of intervals for this intensity and stuff. Like you literally go outside and ride your bike and not, you know, you kind of have to ride hardish, right? You know I mean? It's, you know, like, uh, you yeah, all just, she did was ride her bike more. You, just, you go on more bike rides. Yeah. She, she, yeah. And so not to belabor the point, but that is kind of like the whole, the whole spiel here. Right. Yeah. Cause because really, there are there are no shortcuts um, to gaining your kind of your slow twitch, fat burning type adaptations. They take they just take time, and we've gone over this on several podcasts. I mean, go back and listen to the the Polarized Express podcast. And I should the, stop naming them clever puns because then we can't reference back to them. I'm like, <laughs> and what? then the, are you tired of Zone Two? <laughs> I should explain. I I had this lofty ideal of having like a pun for every single episode, and I'm really running out of steam. Some of these, I'll say for like 20 minutes, like, gosh, what's a pun about like you know like intensity distribution? You know, that's that's I should get a job for SNL for the amount of time I put into those. Um, but yeah, go back. We'll maybe figure out a way to like reference, you know, like previous episodes that you can go back and listen to, but it's all stuff we've addressed, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and basically there's just really no shortcuts and, and anyone that tells you that there is, I, I think they're it's just trying to sell you something. They're trying to sell you something. Yeah. Uh, and I, I will put an asterisk by that. Like, I, I don't think there's any shortcuts to building your fitness. I do think that there are shortcuts to maintaining your fitness, Right. And, and so, like, you'll feel like we talk about time crunched athletes, you know, when you're in college and having a, two jobs on the side or whatever to pay the bills or whatever, like, and you only have 30, 45 minutes a day and you just don't have the option to chuck a lot of volume at the equation. There are things you can do. Yeah. If you spent your time and built, built some awesome infrastructure within your body, you know, you can, you can maintain it during those busy times, but I don't think you can, there's no shortcuts to building that. In no, my, there's, in my there's no shortcuts to gains, you know? So, um, so Joe, have, 
like you hear the term junk miles thrown around. Right? I'm, I'm frequently accused of indulging in junk miles. Um, <laughs> is it, and really quick, I'll give you my kind of, and, and I should say, Dan and I do not pre-plan these. So this is really like junk miles in my mind is like going hard enough to make yourself tired, but not really hard enough to like really make a dent in your, you know, improvement. Is that fair? And that's, I would say that's a really common definition. Of that's how I, that's and, how I understand. And I that. think that's kind of the, I think a lot of people, especially those that are big into polarized training think that, you know, if you're in zone three and you're having fun, then something's wrong. They're junk miles. Yeah. Right. And, and I don't, I think there, there is a such thing as junk miles, but I don't know that they really apply to everybody and, and they're not as common as people think. I like to think of it more as there is, you've got more effective training, less effective training, and then just bad training. Okay. Okay. And so Maybird, just a little background here. Maybird really is intended to benefit kids that ride four to five days a week and get 10 to 15 hours of riding a week. You know, if, and that's really who, how, who I've kind of, at least within like the, the older groups have kind of structured the program for, you know, if, if you're doing less than that, you're probably not getting, well, you're not getting the full benefits of, oh, no. of the program. So, no, no. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've really kind of designed it for kind of like the ideal, like those who are getting enough miles and hours in a week to, to really benefit from it. Um, you know, and, and if I was really only planning on people riding twice a week, I would do things completely differently, but that's not what we're doing. So, yeah. Um, so, so you've got more effective versus less effective. And the, and the thing that's interesting there is they're both effective. One's just more effective and one's less effective, but they're both going to they're, they're both still beneficial, but one could be better. And then there's also some things that are just bad. Just bad. Just don't we'll t- do this. Yeah. We'll talk about those in a sec. But so how I picture more effective training, and these are things we've talked about before, but you know, the first thing is that the majority of your rides are intentionally in your endurance zone, which is basically 55 to 75% of your FTP, which we call zone two. And the majority of your riding, you intentionally try to keep it within that range, um, which is, you know, just hard enough. You're a little bit conscious of your breathing, but it's, it's still pretty comfortable. And it's a pace you could do for easily three hours. Okay. And that's where the majority of your riding is going to be. It's not painful, but believe it or not, you make, your body is making lots of really awesome ad- adaptations while you're riding in that intensity. Right. But it takes time. Right. So that's the majority of your riding. And then, and, and this type of riding to me is where I see the Maybird group rides fitting in. The Maybird group rides should f- um, accomplish some of that endurance pace riding that you're trying to accomplish each week. You know, so that's where I see the Maybird group rides. I kind of see their role there. And then along with more effective training, you know, once or twice a week, you do a workout that you intentionally go above your zone two, which is usually in the form of, you know, like sweet spot workout, which is just below threshold, um, actual threshold workout, or, you know, like VO two max type workouts where you're working at like 90% of your max heart rate, like really, really hard stuff. But those, those type of workouts, you know, you would do twice a week. 
and um, and preferably you would do those those type of workouts where you're intentionally going above zone two. I, I think it's better to do those as structured workouts like intervals and so forth. And and those people also say are maybe better to do on your own. Would that be fair to say? You know it 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 depends. Um, there's I think sometimes like some people do like are better motivated if they're riding with somebody else that can can push them. Um, but a lot of times I think that's better to do in like pairs rather than like a whole group. Yeah, um, yeah, okay, that makes and, it. Like, yeah, it would be hard to do those with a group of eight. And we have, and like, like I help coach the Skyline team. And we figured a really good way to do intervals for groups that, you know, that don't have power meters and so forth that work out really, really well. But um, it's usually on a course that's that's a loop that people can kind of go at their own pace, and you know, people might kind of pair off and and pace with each other. But um, but yeah, I I, I do. I mean, I, I typically think it's better to do these these your your two intentionally above zone two workouts as as interval type workouts rather than just hard group rides. And so, if that schedule kind of like encompasses the most effective training, what would you consider to be like less effective training? So, so less effective training is is still very effective training, but some things that I would say would make it less effective is is one like you said, just going hard all the or going kind of hard all the time. Right. You know, um, like we've mentioned before, that just means like your endurance rides are a little too hard. So when it's time to do like your, your interval workouts or your hard workouts, you just don't have it in you to make those high quality, but you kind of feel like you're going hard all the time, but you're not just because you don't have the freshness. Um, another one I put with a, with an asterisk is hard group rides. Um, because hard group rides can be very beneficial. And I think that there's totally a place for them. Right. Um, but, and, and I want to do a whole podcast on this, why I think like interval workouts are preferable. And a lot of that just become comes down to like, you know, with an interval workout, you're kind of targeting a certain intensity and then you have really high quality rest so that you tend to recover from those sessions better and spend more time in zone in those. Whereas with hard group rides, you're all over the place and they actually kind of feel harder than they actually are. And then when you go back and look at how much time you've spent in, in certain power zones, you spend surprisingly little time above your, you know, like above a VO two max type effort. Uh, but your recovery a lot of times is, is short and sporadic. So you're really just kind of all over the place and it just takes kind of longer to recover from those. So, okay. so I, I have, I have a thought here and I want to, I want to get your, your kind of idea on it. Um, I am very much guilty of engaging in training that mostly falls into the second category there. They're kind of less effective. And we, we like joke about it all the time. Like my most common ride last year was uh, for me to finish up work, close my laptop hop on my road bike um, and then go for a ride that would usually be an hour and a half long um, that would be really punchy and hard for most of the time where I'd, I'd have a few efforts that would just destroy me and um, you know uh, and I, I would do that really really frequently almost every day and and the problem for me is that like over the past two years I had this trans transition from being in high school and having a lot of time to having a full-time job and taking three or four college classes. 
and you and I have both seen a lot of times, a lot of kids get caught at that juncture and cycling is a ball they drop, right? Because it's, you've got a lot of other stuff going on and it's hard to justify spending that amount of time. You don't have the energy or the inclination to do it. And for me, the kind of writing I was motivated to do was not writing that happened to be ideal for my training. Um, I, my thought there is like, if, if you need to ride hard to motivate yourself to get out and ride, ride that's the more important thing like don't don't think that you have to do writing that you're not excited about that's like or that you might not have time for like for me you know um finishing work i don't always have time year round to do three hours every single day like i might have in high school do you have any thoughts there for people who don't have like the ideal amount of time to spend on training is it okay to just kind of live your cycling career in that less effective sort of bubble? Or do you think there's a problem long-term with that? Well, and that's the point I really want to make is, is being in this Lex, like doing less effective training, you're, you're still going to get faster. Right. Like, yeah, you're still going to get faster. You're still going to improve. There's just, it's just, you're probably not doing the best way. Yeah. You know, we, um, we kind of know so better. Try and find um, ways to get into that more effective bubble that are yeah, still interesting for you. You know, and I'd like to do kind of a whole episode on time crunched, you know, right. um, because I think it's important to address, especially for our, our riders that are going into college and so forth. Right. But even still, like these rides you described where, you know, and I think a lot of people do these, like yeah. they'll go out, they'll go out on a mostly, like every day they'll go out on a mostly zone two ride. Yeah. But then they'll just throw in a few random, really hard efforts. Right. And, and that's still training that's going to make you faster. And you're going to get a whole lot faster than someone that didn't go out and ride that day. Right. But when you, when you structure your training, it's much better to actually set aside one or two days a week where you're intentionally going above zone two and you're intentionally trying to spend as much time as possible at either sweet spot or or threshold or VO two max or whatever you're targeting and, and then recover from it. You know, it, it's better to do those on certain days that are set aside for that rather than sprinkling it in throughout the week. Because, you know, because when we talked about this a little bit during our polarized express podcast is that anytime you do go above zone two, you're actually introducing like, autonomic stress, you know, from your sympathetic nervous system. And anytime you do that, it makes it so it takes longer to recover from that workout. And so, you know, these workouts where you sprinkle that in every single workout, it just delays your recovery from those workouts. And, you know, anytime you're going to, you know, you're going to introduce autonomic stress, you might as well just go to town and just, you know, if you're going to go there, you go there. And so like when, when it's time to do one of these hard workouts, it should just be like a day you kind of dread a little bit and it should, your focus should be that certain target power you're supposed to hit, you know? And then that's any, I would say, even if you're time crunched, I would still only have two days where you focus on those types of efforts and the rest, you know, if you can only do an hour zone two ride, you know, that's probably better than nothing, you know, um, if you're time crunched. So somebody who's listening to this, bearing all that in mind, of course, um, somebody who's listening to this, I'm sure they're there who's, who's like, okay, I'm going to be coaching a group for the first time. I'll be leading rides for the first time or something like that. Or I've been re- leading rides, but I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. If you were speaking to ride leaders here, maybe, and I don't know how you have this laid up, but I'd be, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say to ride leaders about how they should structure these. 
and and run these and then to athletes as far as how they should approach group rides and stuff because um, there are all the questions of like oh if i'm am i too serious now to go on group rides are they going to hurt my training or kids who are like you know or maybe a ride uh, like a ride leader who's like man the spread in my group is really wide and if it's zone two for you know the slowest kid it's no one's going to come because it'll be boring for the fastest kid like what are your kind of practical tips on how to run group rides and make them make them like really count Okay. Well, that's that's actually, yeah, that's a really good question, and I'm totally going to go into that. Was that a decent segue? Am I jumping Well, you're, I did miss the, I was going to talk about bad rides, if you're interested. Oh, let's talk about, I forgot, the, I forgot the third category. Let's yeah. run over the bad rides really quick, and then we'll go back to that. And then we will definitely go back okay. to that, because that's, yeah, that's kind of where we're leading. I was um, trying to provide you with a great segue, but. So, so bad rides, really. bad training is what I would consider junk miles, and and how I would define it is that, riding that actually does harm and doesn't help you get better. And um, I, I would say most of our riders, especially those riding under 10 hours a week, probably don't really have to worry too much about junk miles because I, I kind of think any riding that you do is going to make you faster. Under 10 hours a week. Yeah. Um, you know, some examples of what I would consider just bad or junk miles are um you know if if you're supposed to if you need a recovery day you're supposed to go do a recovery ride that turns into a two-hour tempo ride okay that's yeah that's bad that's junk miles um another one would be another one i think is like excessive racing you you know that is interesting i think if you do too much racing like if you're racing every week you're really i think you're almost doing more harm than good like if you're going into a really dark place every single Tuesday night for every single midweek, and then all of the I cups, a few USAC races, maybe Frog Hollow and and Mesa Verde, and the national races and Nika and whatever, like you know that, I think for the vast majority of people is counterproductive, right? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Um, like if you're doing all those comfortably, you're probably not racing as hard as you can. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another example would be like doing three or four interval sessions a week. Okay. I think that riding well injured. Um, yeah. Or like, you know, not taking like not taking recovery weeks or, or whatever, you know, or like riding when you should be recovering. I think the theme with bad, with the kind of bad category seems to just be a lack of proper recovery, right? Like given proper recovery, is there any kind of bad riding? Well, I, 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 I think just proper, distribution of your intensity too is is huge there you know just like making sure you don't do you're not doing four interval sessions you're not doing intervals every time you ride or so forth you know but okay yeah i think recoveries obviously that's the main theme there yeah right okay yeah i mean yeah it kind of comes back to taking your recovery serious which is something i'm sure we've mentioned more than more than once um but so so let's kind of skip to like how to conduct um how to practically conduct a group ride. And so our riders know what to expect from a group ride. Um, so the first and foremost thing, and, and I would say the most important part of a group ride is it should be fun. It should be pleasant and it should be positive. Right. It, Especially when we're dealing with youth athletes here. Like if you're listening to this, please always remember these are youth athletes. We're trying to make them love the sport and do it for a long time. You know? Yeah. They should associate group rides with good feelings right. is kind of the hope. So, yeah. um, 
And, and part of that, one of the, the biggest things there is just making sure you're in the right group. Yes. We go to, I mean, it takes us hours and hours and hours and hours to, you know, to attempt to kind of put people in a group. And the idea with these groups is a group that the entire group could be riding comfortably at an endurance pace together. Right. Now I could go on a two hour, like a two hour ride with, we'll just say Joe Cochran or something. And we could be riding together. He could be in an endurance pace and I would be like on a death March on my threshold, just right. like, yeah. yeah, about to have a heart attack. Right. You know? And, and so we really, and, and, you know, it's like a completely different experience for him. It's probably this pleasant thing for me. It was like the hardest race I did all year. Right. You know, and again, we want these rides to mostly be endurance paced rides. Right. So, um, and being in the right group is just crucial because like, you know, it, it sucks. Cause like no matter who you are, there's someone way faster than you and there's someone way slower than you. Right. You know, and I promise there is a neighbor group out there that's just right for you. Right. Yeah. You just have to trust us that we know which one it or, is. Or, you know, yeah. or help us, you know, if, if we put you on the wrong group, you know, you can. Yeah. Um, and so, so these, these group rides, they, you, they should not feel like a race to be able to keep up with your group. Like if every ride feels like a midweek, midweek race effort, then you're probably not in the right group. If you're riding it, you know, at 50% your FTP the whole time. And you know, it's, it's basically you're the whole ride you're in zone one and it's a recovery ride. Then you're obviously not in the right group either, you know, but you know, if you're riding in a group that's just dropping you every time and they're having to wait and, you know, it's just not as much fun for you. Or, or, or anyone else. Like, yeah, and it's a little unfair to other people too. That you Like, know. I, I used to love riding with the pink group and the pink group has excelled and has become way, I mean, I think I'm, I'm not as fast as I used to be, but um, there was a, there was, there were at least a few weeks where I was riding with the pink group and I was an anchor. And it, it, you can tell that it, it's not good for you and it's not good for anyone else. And this is the kind of interesting impulse we see from parents a lot is put my kid in the fastest group they could conceivably hang on in. And I kind of get where people get that idea, but it really is counterproductive, right? I, I think for, I think for beginners, you like, if you're in our, one of like our, in a junior high beginner type group. Yeah. I think putting them in a group that pushes them can help, you know, but for most people, you know, it really isn't that beneficial again. And we're assuming that you're doing riding outside of your neighborhood group rides. Right. Um, otherwise that's a different story, but yeah, we should say that, that like, I don't know if anybody expects to just drop off their kid at two neighborhood rides a week and have them turn into an amazing cyclist. I don't know if people actually do that, but if they do, they're wrong. Like, yeah, that's you know, not, yeah, we're good, you, but you we're make not yourself an amazing cyclist. We, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I have a hard time articulating what exactly it is that we do, but it's not that. <laughs> so another thing about the groups that you should expect is one, I, I think it's courteous to other trail users to have our groups be relatively small. Yes. And, and tight. Like tight. I was going to say, I don't know what word to use. Um, and by that, I mean, you, you're going to have, well, first of all, you're going to go the pace of whoever the slowest is in your group. I usually right. like to put them towards the front. Right. I like to have a ride leader in the front that's controlling the pace. That's that's a pace that everyone in the group can can stay together. You know, and if, if people are on the right group, that happens pretty easily, you know. And then I like to have someone at the back of the group that just makes sure that they always stay in the back and that they 
that no one really gets left behind and right and and i think that i think that really you know if you're another trail user and six or seven people ride by that seems like a pretty big group it seems like 20 even even though it's only six or seven stopping your ride for two minutes is like an eternity you know and it it, it is it is discourteous and and we have discovered like politically it makes it hard for there to be new trails because a lot of people in the past years have had a really bad experience running into high school mountain bike teams and that there is some kind of public opposition to building a trail in your backyard or you know other you know like allowing mountain bikers to use certain areas because people are like oh well i keep having to deal with these high school teams where 25 kids pass me and i'm stopped for seven or eight minutes and and know. i've gone on rides where like an entire team will show up and they just kind of turn everyone loose and tell them to meet at the top or whatever. And I'll be passing people from like, like I've passed people from like, you know, the start of PCMR and keep passing the same team until we get up to like the top of Armstrong. And or from the corral to the top of Jacob's Ladder, man. You know, yeah. like it, it's rough. It's not great. You know, so so we we do like to keep our groups smaller and, and tight. Just out yeah. of Because then, you know, if you need to pass somebody, it takes that group a second to get past somebody. Right. And, right. You know, so, so, um, and then again, again, keep them endurance pace. The, your, your rider should be able to carry on a conversation and only have to stop to catch their breath occasionally. Right. But for the most part, your riders should be talking to each other. Yeah. Cause group rides should, and I'm not sure if you were going to go to this later. They should also be social. I think that's super important. You know, that's not like, a cool perk. I think it's almost kind of central to, um, you know, to why we do them, you know, is, is making it a social thing so that you have a community of people that you, you know, that are your bike people that are, you know, them from the group rides you go on and, you know, like, um, that's important too. No. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, one thing I did want to point out about the endurance pace is this is where I think a lot of parents like probably don't really, you know, they really think that this, these rides should be to push their kids, you know, that it should be, they should be able to ride with, with other people that are going to push them and that this is how you get fast. And I I can see why you'd think that. Um, but I'm pretty sure I'm not wrong about this, that it's really more about the amount of volume that your kids are riding. That's going to make them fast. And then I'm thinking of an example of a rider that, they got assigned to a group, went to one ride, and decided that that they didn't ride fast enough. So they never came back again. And, you know, when when race day came, when the race season finally came, this entire group just was awesome and really fast. And, you know, and, and this other rider, not as much, you know. And so, so, yeah, it really is just about... You know, these rides really aren't intended to be races. And and it would be impossible to make them so that everyone got pushed because who would do the pushing if everyone was getting pushed? So, right. So, yeah. So hopefully, so hopefully that makes sense. No, I would encourage, um, and for this to work, you really, like we said, you really do have to ride outside of your neighbor rides. And, you know, twice a week, those need to be hard. And one of those could be in the form of a race. And the other, I think it's, it's awesome if you can get a buddy that, you know, you could go do a hard workout together and push each other. Um, because a, a lot of times it is easier 
push mm-hmm. yourself if, if you've got someone there. Kind of hold you accountable, make sure you're finishing the intervals yeah. and stuff. It's, and it's, the struggle is finding somebody who's a good match. And this is where I think the success of the Gibbons twins comes in is that they've trained together a lot, right? Oh, like, yeah. You know, they have, and I, I don't think that their um, success has been unrelated to that. I, I think there's a correlation there, you know? Yeah. One other thing I do hope for our group rides this this season that I want to do better than I did last season is I do hope there's more of an emphasis on on improving our skills. Yes. You know, it's, um, you know, we're not just going there to ride all the time. We're actually going there to work on becoming better riders. Yeah. And, you know, which is which is another, you know, another benefit of group rides is you really do learn from one another. You know, you can, you can kind of see how one person does a line. You can kind of see, watch how someone else approaches something. You can learn new things. You can teach things to other people. And for the, for the coaches to be listening to this, it's not just like, we're going to workshop switchbacks. Now I think there's, there are so many skills that go into making somebody a good cyclist. That could be like, um, figuring out how to do a trail side repair together. It could be, um, you know, like, uh, like, uh, really quick, let's, it, it we'll stop here and everybody practice like a two second race start, just cl- jumping off the line and clipping in. Like there's so... Or sessioning a certain section, like, oh yeah, like, you know, if you get to a section, you walk it, you really don't learn anything. Yeah. Like people in Salt Lake will know, like, um, like the Tomahawk descent on shoreline. Um, I spent about an hour there on at least two occasions with my group um, I want to say if I'm remembering correctly, just saying like, here's this really tricky corner. Let's just try this until you guys can ride it. And then it's, you know, part of the benefit too is like, you know, these kids will get together and they'll problem solve and be like, well, I tried this and it didn't work. What about this line? And then someone will go try it and that line works, you know? So like that, that kind of thing at like a hundred percent is super, super valuable, you know? And we do our best to try and choose coaches who can actually impart those things who are knowledgeable, good cyclists and stuff. So, um, I mean that the emphasis there needs to be huge as well, right? Yeah, it's time well spent. Yeah, and that's something I hope I hope you expect from from your groups, especially you know, especially with the beginner groups. Um, yes, you know, I'm I'm more concerned about beginners' skills than their fitness. The fitness comes pretty easy for beginners. Oh yeah, the, like we said, you just ride. Yeah, you just ride. Yeah. So you know, and and for beginner riders, as as parents know, like the group rides are just a magical thing. The, the magic for getting a, a, a beginner rider to ride is friends. Yes. You know, it's, it's so hard, you know, as a parent, I tried to get my kids into it and it wasn't until like youth mountain biking was starting to, to become a thing that you could actually, the, the kids would actually enjoy it, you know, and the group rides for beginners, it's just, just kind of, it's just magical really. Um, and, and something I'd throw out is like, I'm getting married this May uh, or this June, excuse me. Uh Oh, hope Tessa doesn't listen to this. Um, I'm getting married this June. I don't think she does. Um, And um, the venue is very limited. Uh, I can't have everybody that is important to me in my life be there. I'm having my family be there. And the only friends that are going to be at my wedding are people that I met on the Skyline mountain bike team doing group rides together. Like that is, you know, they, they are, are friends for me ahead of anyone I've ever worked with, uh, had a, a educational connection with. None of those people made the cut. You know, the people coming to my wedding are the people I did mountain bike group rides with. It is a huge deal. And I would also say to parents listening to this, if you're not sold yet, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're sold, but let's pretend you aren't. Um, the kids who ride with Maybird are good kids. You know, like if you're, if, if they're, if your kids hanging out with these kids and riding with them, they're a good influence. 
Yeah, we sure hope so. We we yeah. really take pride in in having good, kind, it's an friendly writers. Excellent culture of good people here. You know, and and another thing I kind of want to address too. You know, is as as writers advance, I think that there's a lot of times where, you know, writers adv- will advance. They're they're aware of good training principles, and maybe even following a training plan. And I think a concern kind of arises that, you know, that that the zone two rides you do with your group aren't sterile enough. You know, you're you're mm-hmm. you're going into zone three frequently mm-hmm. and and so forth. You know, and I think. I think that's a concern. And, and the, and the thing is, is yes, you're right. They're not perfectly sterile zone two rides. You really have to get a road bike on a flat place or, or do that on if a trainer. If you want to... sterile rides, you do them on a trainer. I was going to say, you can't do that on a road bike. You can't do that alone. You can't do it on a mountain bike at all. You can't do it on a road bike, even alone, you know? Yeah. And so like your training, when you go on these rides, yeah, it's not sterile, but it's, just the the social experience the 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 benefits of it hugely outweigh the keeping your zone two ride perfect i mean if you dip into zone three and do a little uh, get above threshold occasionally that's not that's not a big deal you know if as long as your intention for that ride is to keep it um you know, to keep it around zone two. Cause, and, and we'll say like, and, and we say that like, we want these rides to be zone two, but the truth is where we try to divide kids up and where we almost kind of dictate where you ride because we're trying to keep the team spread out. So we're not hogging up trails. Like there are some trails that you can't ride at zone two, you know, like do not expect sterility from these. The principle is true that in a lab, you know, you'd want uh, the maximum amount of time in zone two to get whatever gain, but like that doesn't necessarily translate into the real world. And I would contend again, where the goal, if there is an overriding goal with Maybird, it's to create lifelong cyclists doing that slightly less sterile ride in a group environment where you have fun and have that social connection is going to be more conducive to long-term cycling success than sterile on your own zone two rides. Yeah. And like we said before, you know, there is, there's effective, there's less effective. These rides are still very effective mm-hmm. and more time on the bike under your belt is going to make you faster. Yeah. But you know, the, the social aspect is incredibly important for your mental health. Um, and, and, you know, and usually when you see riders start to, to stop attending their group rides, normally it doesn't lead to good things. No. Know? Um, that's, that, that's usually associated with um, with people burning out and leaving the sport. I mean, like if, if it's the week before nationals and you have very, something very particular you want to do and you miss that week's group rides, then sure. But like, you yeah. are right that, you know, like, um, and that's not necessarily even just with kids who get bored. That's like really good kids can, you know, I've, I, I think there are people who think they're too good to ride with their NICA team or something and that they need to do all of their training on their own. And I just haven't seen that work yet. Yeah. I, I think, you know, like no matter what training plan you're on or, or what you, I think you can figure out a way to do at least one group ride a week. Question. Is anybody listening to this too good for group rides? Is anybody too good for group rides? I just want to put like, for some reason, I think group rides, like there's some people who think that they're too good for group rides. I've, I've seen, I've seen people insinuate this before. And I, you know, I don't think that they think, but I do know some, and and these are usually like really smart riders that they think their group rides are too hard so they don't go on them. That's fair. And I think that's fair. And I think that's if that's game. if that's the case, um, you might find 
like there's groups you could ride with that would would not be too hard. Roughly how many Maybird groups are there going to be this year? There's usually about usually about 18 or 20. 20 20-ish groups. There's one that's going to work for you. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I mean, unless you're Nino Schurter, we have a group that works for you, you know? I mean, unless you're Nino Schurter, your training wheels came off last week. We've got a group for you, you know? Yeah. You know, another huge thing about group rides is it, it really kind of just takes you out of your routine because a lot of times it's going to send you at a trail that you might not have chose. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to, you're going to be riding with people that aren't on your high school team. Right. And they're going to do the route counterclockwise when you usually do it clockwise. And it really just kind of forces you out of your routine, which I really think is, is awesome and in, in keeping it fun and, and, you know, keeping the boredom out and so forth, you know, um, and, you know, and just, like I said, what you learn from others and, and, and the social aspect just is really, you know, you, you really become more ingrained and in you, you basically expand your cycling network, you know, and you, you, you go to, you, you know, you go to the, the races, the Nike races, and you know, you've got friends from five different teams. Every single there. tent, there's, there's someone, you know, yeah you know, like, uh, and, and even like going to a cross race and stuff, you'll know people there, you know, if you're, if you want to try your first crit race, you'll show up and there'll probably be someone, you know, there, you know, like the community. I, like, I think of like people who I really look up to in the cycling community, like Thomas Torres, the, the cyclocross racer, uh, who always has the prettiest bikes and everything, you know, like there's, he, know, I don't, I mean, he rides alone, but I just everywhere he goes, it seems like he knows people in the cycling world. You know, he could go to any type of mountain bike of bike race, cyclocross, mountain bike, crit, know people there. There's people he could ride with all the time. And really like, that's what I'm trying to establish here with, with Maybird. I think I would love if in 10 or 15 years, there's a whole community of adult cyclists who know each other and ride together and sustain each other in the sport because of Maybird. I think that'd be a cool legacy, you know? So like the social aspect, I mean, it's hard to say anything is the most important part, but that's got to be. Oh, there. everything's the most important part. Oh yeah. <laughs> now, you know, so if, if we if we had to wrap up, I would just encourage you to, you know, to to really try to work towards, you know, more effective training. You know, to to get on your bike more, ride more. That's what's ultimately going to make you faster, and and take advantage of the group rides. Have fun, enjoy them. Um, we're going to actually have a, a meeting with the coaches where we kind of go over more how we do expect our our rides to be ran because they're a little different than than you know your high school might do it. Mm. Um, but I, I just think that these should be you know that you should and you should look back at these rides with fondness. You know that you had fun, you met new people, you did cool things, you you know you got fit, you got fast. And you were happy when you're done. So look, look, I mean, look back on them with fondness and look forward to them with excitement. You know, that should be the best part of your week. And if it's not, you're doing something wrong and we'll fix it. So, um, as always, please send questions. We're always happy to answer them. We're looking forward to uh, season. I mean, the season's creeping right on up. I, I couldn't believe it was January 22nd already. You know, sometimes you can ride Sherlin in February. I kind of doubt it this year with the way the snow's been. Um, but yeah, this is coming right up. Uh, I'm excited. So uh, send questions if you have them, and we uh, look forward to chatting with you guys next week.